Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. My name is Ivory, and you are tuned in to the Embracing Neurodiversity podcast, where I share my personal journey of embracing and enhancing the experience of my amazing son, who is on the spectrum. Through this journey, I've discovered a lot about myself and continue to grow every day. My goal is to provide you with some useful insights and stories that will inspire you in your own parenting journey. Thank you for tuning in. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in per usual. It is December 31st, 2023. We are uh, embarking upon a new year. And of course, as always, I I stay in a reflective space. I stay in an observing space. I stay in a place of iteration. And if you are curious about what I mean by iteration, check out my previous podcast on progress over perfection. But obviously, the end of the year calls for a little bit more reflection and also projection in, in terms of thinking about what one wants for the future right because it's a is a podcast about telling my story as a single mom raising a child on the spectrum I wanted to root today's 2023 reflection through the lens of my experience as an autism mom and so this podcast is going to be focused on the Things that I learned in 2020, is it 2023 or 2024, child? That's how much I just literally be in my own world. I have 2024 written down here, but I know it's 2023. And it's 2023. Anyway, so I wanted to focus today's podcast on what I learned about being an autism mom. My son, Khalil, is, he just turned seven in November and he was diagnosed with autism at five, which is relatively late for children on the spectrum. And so it's been a little, almost a year and a half, almost two years, it'll be like two years in March actually, that I learned that he was on the spectrum, right? But I've mentioned this in previous podcasts that, you know, when he was two, three, four, five, and, you know, I saw some of his delays, particularly in his speech and his social engagement, that there were inklings and there were signs, right? And so it wasn't a complete, I wasn't completely shocked by the news, but it still was a journey to adjust and a, the grieving process, which is ongoing, it was, it catapulted me into the grieving process, one, but also it catapulted me into the journey of getting him into a place where he can thrive exactly as he is. And while I started this journey of podcasting and sharing my story a year ago, which is sort of another reflection, I'm very proud of myself that the podcast is one year old. And I have been consistent with that. And the video podcast has started six months ago. And so with that, I was still really relatively new to internalizing what it really means to be an autism mom. And I think that I'm still learning and I, that. And I also think that the journey, it 
changes over time, just like parenting does because your child evolves over time, right? And so it's also important to recognize that recognize that that change is constant but also how are you learning and growing throughout that changing process as a parent and particularly as a autism parent right so i wrote down the things i learned this year about being an autism mom and so these things are still i think in the newness of what it means, right? So if you are an autism parent and you've been a parent for a while, you're probably gonna be like, oh yeah, like this is something that I've I've already discovered, but this is this is what I have just discovered. And if you're a new autism mom, hopefully this is something that will be helpful to you. So let's jump right in. I speak a lot about shame because one of the things that I've learned about being a an autism mom is that in order to engage in embrace your child, you have to begin to do your own personal development work as well and unpack your own stuff. And so with that is is shame. And so the number one thing on my list that always comes up that I'm always cognizant of is that shame is projected, but it doesn't have to be internalized, right? And let me be very clear, I don't experience a lot of people who are judgmental or who bully Khalil or I don't experience that at all, really. I can't really think of a time where I have had that experience, but it's always something that I'm worried about. And while I haven't experienced this idea of like external aggressive judgment, when you are out with your child or you take your child to events or you're in a family gathering, sometimes you can feel when people don't know how to respond when your child does something out of the social norm, right? Like you can feel that and you either do one or two things, like you ignore it or you defend it. And depending on my mood that day, I can go in one or two directions when it comes to that. But you can feel people's, sometimes their uncomfortability or their curiosity. And sometimes their their subtle judgment, right? Like I've had this year, again, while I don't, I don't like to spend a lot of time on the negativity because it's, it's not really relevant to me. But I think it's important to share that I have had experiences where people have asked questions that can be offensive to most, right? As as an educator, I, I root myself in that and, and try to teach them instead of taking offense to it. But for the most part, I'm really, really clear that when people judge or assert themselves as being superior to you or the, or believe that their their children are superior to your child because your child is different when they do that it is because they have a level of inferiority that they want to project upon you and so what i have become very clear about particularly this year as an autism mom is that your shame is not my shame and you believing that I should be ashamed is not about me. It's also about you. And so I do my best to operate in a space of pride, pride for my child and pride for 
the family unit that, that he and I have created together, despite all of our hardships and barriers, right? And, and when I'm moving in that space, people respond accordingly. And so that is that is something that, that's a muscle that I've, I've had to build and that I am continually rooting myself in. And the last thing I'll say about how you don't have to internalize shame is that when you operate in a space of pride, you teach your child to do the same thing. And that is really the ultimate goal. So number one, shame is projected, but it does not have to be internalized. Number two, if I don't advocate for my child, then they won't learn to do it for themselves. For me and perhaps millions of other autism parents, the primary fear is that when I'm gone from this earth, will my child be able to be independent and thrive in the world, right? And we know that there's a spectrum. And so every, every child experiences autism differently and has different supports and access to different opportunities. And so the way that they thrive in the world may look different according to their family makeup and according to their DNA and where they land on the spectrum. For me, I'm choosing to operate in a space that my child is not only going to survive in this world independently, but he is going to thrive. And one of the fundamental ways that he is going to do that is if I teach him to accept himself fully as who he is and to advocate for himself. And you teach your child to advocate for themselves by modeling that behavior, not just telling them to ask, but you also ask on their behalf. You do it in front of them. You do it behind the scenes. Advocating for your child is, and more often than not, oftentimes uh, can make or break their experience of what it means for them being on the, on the autism spectrum, whether that is in educational spaces with their teachers and as it relates to their IEP, which we'll dive more into that in another podcast, advocating in healthcare spaces when it comes to their health needs and also advocating when it comes to social spaces with family members and what they need and what they don't need, what they eat, what they can't eat, what they don't want to eat, like find advocating for them so that they can learn to do it for themselves. One of the things that Khalil does pretty clearly and often is if he doesn't want something or does not want to do something, he is going to say no indefinitely. And I was brought up culturally that when an adult tells you to do something, you don't say no, you just do it, right? But what I have been taught as a practitioner in the education space is that you actually honor student voice and you not only honor it, you amplify it and you give them autonomy to make decisions for themselves while guiding them. And so I absolutely allow Khalil to say no because I need him to have autonomy over himself and his body. If he can say no to me, he can say no to others in the world when he doesn't feel comfortable with something. That's number one. But number two, because his speech is delayed, when I when I make a request or ask a question or offer something and he says no, that tells me that he is receptive and he's receiving and understanding what I'm saying and he's responding accordingly, which is really what I want to see. And so I'm honoring that. Now, don't get me wrong. If there's certain things that 
it must happen, it's going to happen. He can say no, but it's going to happen. <laughs> and so I don't tell my child to not say no or to stop saying no. I don't always acquiesce to his request of no, but I honor him, him saying no. And sometimes I even ask why. Now, he may not respond with an answer all the time, most of the time, but I still honor what he is saying. So um, advocating for your child so that they can learn to advocate for themselves and honoring when they do advocate for themselves. That's the second piece that I learned. Number three, I know this is so cliche, but everything is a lesson. Everything is a lesson. That is what I have learned. I used to be like a really big fan of watching Iyanla Fix My Life, which I still like watching it, but like when I watch old episodes now, I see some problematic practices, but that's neither here nor there. I appreciate a lot of what she has to say and offer, and one of the things she says often is, everything is a lesson that God will have us to learn. Now, whether you are spiritual or not, that is your prerogative, but what I know to be true and what I know to be effective in parenting as an autism parent is to understand that things happen for you and not to you. So in the difficult moments, allowing yourself to feel that frustration and disappointment and cry it out if you need to, but when you have the space to be open, receive the lesson from it all because everything is a lesson. One of the things I'm really trying to learn a lesson from and I've mentioned it often, is when my son has meltdowns, right? When he has sensory triggers and I don't know where they're coming from and I can't help him in the moment and he has a meltdown and have to literally sit with him while he's having that meltdown. It is gut-wrenching. It is heartbreaking. And I'm always like, okay, what do I need to learn from this? And I think that I'm learning that it's important for you to remain calm even through you meaning me, Ivory, to remain calm even in moments of chaos because, again, you are teaching your child how to respond and behave. And it's incredibly hard because when he's breaking down, I want to break down right with him. And I have before, let me be very clear. But I'm learning. I was just thinking about this the other day that I'm getting better at at emotionally regulated when Khalil has meltdowns to like remain calm and repeat my own affirmations and then you know repeat to him I've said to you all on record that I'm I'm always telling him like everything's okay everything's okay because I believe that many times his meltdowns are a result of him being overwhelmed by the thoughts that are rushing through his mind because he's always, you know, he's curious, so he's always moving. And so with saying everything is okay, I am hopefully helping him to come down and self-regulate himself. But I also use that tactic for myself when he's in a moment of a meltdown. So that is a lesson I learned to remain calm in moments of chaos. And that has transferred into other areas of my life, child. So everything is a lesson everything that is how I cope with difficult things and I I don't always get that right I allow myself to have angry moments and frustrating moments and scream cried out but I, I do my best to try to go back to the lesson in it all the other thing I learned and this kind of floods into everything is a lesson is that remaining emotionally stable is paramount like if if I don't do nothing else in the world when it comes to parenting, it is 
to learn how to, to, to remain emotionally stable. And what I mean by that is oftentimes with our children, they can go, Khalil can go through five different emotions in an hour. And because we are so connected emotionally, spiritually to our children, we can go on that journey with them if we allow it, which can put us into like an emotional wreck that and lead us into a rabbit hole that's hard to get out of. I, I had been there at one point, and so I learned that if I did not incorporate tactics to keep myself emotionally stable, I was not going to be sustainable for myself or my son. Being emotionally stable is is the foundation for like your overall well-being. And without it, you're more prone to stress and anxiety when you are reactive to negative responses around you instead of sitting within yourself and and talking to yourself and you know regulating yourself but then also incorporating self-care into your daily lifestyle i talk a lot about how self-care is going to be important for parents and that is a whole that's missing in the autism community around how to best support children for, to me, the number one way to support children is to support their parents, the people who are directly engaging with them day to day. And so I am an advocate for parents prioritizing themselves and incorporating self-care into their lives so that they can be better for their children, right? Especially when you are an autism parent, you spend, you expound so much energy. You don't even realize it sometimes how much energy you expound with your child, and so incorporating self-care has helped me to remain emotionally stable. And so I started to work out daily and not extensive workouts, like 10, 15 minutes of movement, mindful movement. And it has helped me tremendously. I try to get time to myself. I wake up really early to have moments to myself. But then also I travel when I can, when childcare allows but you know I travel to have time with myself and and break away from being a mom and so these are ways that I can be emotionally stable when I'm with my son but just in general too like I think emotional stability is important for me in all areas of my life I like to be responsive not reactive I think that that's an important trait to have it shows that you have control over your life and especially in a world where people like to project their own stuff upon you so it definitely taught me to, to remain emotionally stable my favorite one of my favorite lessons that i've learned is that if you pay attention you will notice progress with both your child and yourself so by simply paying attention, you are you'll be amazed by how much progress both you and your child can make. But that really hap only happens when again you've set goals. Uh, talked about goals in the last podcast around progress over perfection, like setting goals, whether big or small, for you and your child, and then watching day to day to see. The progress toward that goal and if you're paying attention you will see progress um i'm always watching to see what my son is doing and then i make mental notes on uh and sometimes i write the notes down around the house on like how i want him to improve in that area because i know those small things are going to lead to larger skills right 
And I'm grateful because that is a skill that I was taught as a teacher, as a, an assistant principal, to always be in continuous improvement. And I applied that to my personal life and to my parenting, which is part of what my coaching looks like as well. But if you pay attention, you will always see progress with yourself and with your child. Yesterday, I was so happy because my son zipped up his coat independently, whereas, like, I remember vividly that was something that he struggled with. And, like, I just went into, like, complete praise and joy and, you know, praising him and God and, like, all the things because I was, I remember a time where he couldn't do it, right? And I was just like, I'm kind of tired of doing this for you. And and so now he does that. And these are the things that I live for and that I celebrate. A year ago, I was still teaching him how to write his name clearly. And now like, I can't get him to stop writing, not just his name, but many words that, you know, are quite frankly above the grade level that he currently is. And so, there's, there's always progress. You just have to pay attention and be intentional, right? And then, obviously, there's been progress in myself with my patients, with my mental health, because of the tactics that I just mentioned before that I put in place. So if you pay attention, you will always find improvement, and that is what's going to sustain you. Oftentimes, what what makes us most discouraged as parents is like this fear that like our child isn't growing, but they are, and they will if we create a nurturing environment and if we pay attention. Number six, and lastly, to fully embrace your child, because you all know that this is embracing neurodiversity and, and embracing means to not only accept, but to lean in and make who they are an integral part of the, your your lifestyle. And so to I've learned to fully embrace your child, you must learn to also embrace yourself, which requires vulnerability. And so it's very difficult to embrace someone exactly as they are if you aren't happy with who you are, which is why, again, Focusing on supporting parents emotionally, mentally is key, right? And so it does require vulnerability and being kind to yourself so that you can extend that to your child. And that is incredibly difficult. It's easier to be vulnerable and to embrace and love yourself in private. It's difficult to, and to also... And embracing yourself, you really have to be honest with yourself about your journey and the things that you need to improve on, which is takes a huge amount of vulnerability because that means that, like, you're not perfect. Of course, we're not. But also, like, you've made mistakes. You've done things that have hurt people. We all have. And, like, ex accepting those things and learning from them and then moving forward, right? But that's easier done in private is incredibly difficult to do that in public because people love to judge but in doing that for yourself you are able to extend that to your child and so that's the number one thing I've learned is that when I'm when I'm gentle with myself when I'm embracing who I am with all of my flaws and becomes 
much more easier for me to do that with my son. And then I've learned that I've been able to do that with others, to be graceful to others because what you put out, you get back. So those are the six things that I learned in 2023 about being an autism mom. I want to acknowledge that it's not an easy journey. My platform is not one that focuses on the difficulties i acknowledge the difficulties but my platform is one that focuses on how do we transcend past the difficulties how do we allow the difficulties to make us better and not better as they say but it it is possible for this journey and this experience to transform you positively if you allow it to you will need support you will need help my coaching, my resources, my experience as an educator, as a parent advocate, as a consultant supports with that. So please click the link below if you'd like more support. As always, I'm super grateful that you all are engaging and I want to wish you a happy new year.